0: Well, good morning. It's so good to be here with you again this morning. Every Lord's Day is a great day to be together. Amen? Amen. So glad that you're here. I couldn't think of anything better we could be doing to start this week off. And I hope you have a wonderful week this week. You know, every week we gather here on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. You can book it down that any Lord's Day that comes, any Sunday that comes we're going to be here in this building worshiping our God and Father. As long as the Lord delays His return, we're going to meet here on Sunday mornings to worship God. And also, each Sunday morning that we come together, we're going to do the same things. Every week, you can count on it that when we gather, we're going to sing praises to God. That's what we just finished doing. That's what we'll continue doing later. You can count on it that every single week, We're going to lift up prayers to God. We're going to pray to Him. We're going to go to Him in prayer. You can count on it that every single week we're going to do what we're doing right now. Open up God's Word and study it. Talk about it. You can count on it that every week we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and and remember what Christ did for us on the cross thousands of years ago. We're also going to have a contribution. Every single week these things are going to be present in our worship. And here's the thing, there are millions of of brethren around the world right now or at some point today who are going to do the exact same things as we are doing today. They're going to worship God in spirit and in truth and do all the things that we just talked about. And, and some are doing it right this very moment here in Mobile, just in different locations. Now, here's the truth. Uh, David has been given a, a couple of lessons on being undenominational uh, this year as we've been talking about some doctrinal matters. And we really focused on the unity of the church, that there's only one church. And we, we strive to be the one church. And, and we don't want to see different branches, if you will, or different groups. We all want to be one in the body of Christ, right? That's what Christ wants for his people is to be unified, to be one unified body. But the truth of the matter is there are literally thousands of different denominations Just here in the United States. I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's in the 30,000s or something like that of different denominations. And the truth is, many of the different denominations do similar things in worship. Some of the things that they do, we also do here, but there are a lot of differences as well. There are some things that, that we don't do here that other denominations may do. And even within the denominations, there's different practices And one of the things that we can see is very different is the observance of the Lord's Supper. Between the different denominations, the the 30,000 different denominations, or whatever that number is, you could probably ask any number, random number of of people in a denominational church and, and different denominations, and you're going to get a different answer for how often they observe the Lord's Supper. Now, we just talked about it. Here, we're going to observe it every single week without fail, without question, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. but from my experience what I have heard and what in my studies I, I have seen most of the time other denominations may take partake of the Lord's Supper uh, maybe once a month, maybe uh, once a quarter, four or five times a year maybe or on special days like Christmas and Easter right so why is it that that some groups partake of the Lord's Supper irregularly. Why is it that, that they, don't, they, they don't take it every week as we do? Well, I think the, probably the easiest answer is many don't see a precedent in Scripture for taking the Lord's Supper weekly. In other words, I think there are many who, who just don't see that the Bible specifies that we are to take it regularly. And so they see it as a matter of opinion. However often we want to take it is, is when we can take it. And we, and we're going to look at this in a few minutes, we actually do believe that there is a precedent in Scripture and in early church history to take it weekly. I think another reason, and this is the one that I've heard quite often, is that partaking of the Lord's Supper weekly can cause it to become a mundane or a routine task. And In essence, some will say that well, if we take the Lord's Supper every single week, it's going to lose its significance on us. You know, we, we don't want it to become routine or mundane, and so we, we don't take it weekly. And folks, there may be a little bit of truth to that, but the fact of the matter is, any Christian practice, any part of our worship can become mundane or routine if we allow it to, right? Any part of our lives as Christians can become that way if our hearts let it get that way, Right? But that's not God's fault. That's not anyone else's fault but our own if we allow something like the Lord's Supper to become mundane or routine. And if we hold it in its proper place, it will never get that way. And we actually see that taking it every week shows just how important it is. That this is so significant that we have to take it every week. We can't not take it. But those are some of the reasons why I think many don't take it weekly, is they may not see a precedent in Scripture for it. And they don't want it to become a, a routine task, so to speak. But folks, there's a reason why we take of the Lord's Supper each week. And for the rest of our time, basically, that's what I want to look at is why we take the Lord's Supper every single week. And, and, and this is just, again, we're talking about doctrines this year and, uh, and once a month. And this is something that, that we do. This is something that we practice every single week. And so let's talk about for a few minutes why we do that every single week. Number one, the New Testament church was devoted to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Devoted to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. I have to say there is no passage that says thou shalt take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. But when you look at the passages together, it's clear that this is something the church did regularly on the first day of the week. The first passage I want to look at is Acts 2.42. This is in the context of the the birth of the church. Peter's given this great gospel sermon, and 3,000 people respond. And here's what we see from this group of believers. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, some may say, hold on a second. I don't see anything about the Lord's Supper here in this verse. Well, the, the phrase there, the breaking of bread... Is the reference to the Lord's Supper. Now, to be sure, the breaking of bread can also refer to a normal meal, all right? But it also can refer to the Lord's Supper. Think about it for a minute. You remember when Jesus was uh, feeding the 5,000? That was a, a meal. He broke bread and gave it to them. But also, when he shared in that Last Supper, what did he do with his apostles there? He broke bread and gave it to them. And so breaking of bread can refer to a normal meal or to the Lord's Supper, depending on the context. So we have to kind of dig and see what what exactly is being talked about here. And in this context, it is in reference to the Lord's Supper. Number one, look at all the things it's surrounded by. Other Christian practices like praying, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping with one another. These are Christian practices that they were were observing in the the beginning, devoting themselves to these things. And the breaking of bread is one of those things, the Lord's Supper. Also later in Acts 2.46, he says this, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now here, the breaking of bread is a reference to a meal, a common meal, because he says they're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. But up in Acts 2.42, which we just read, that they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And in fact, if, you, uh, if we go to the, to the text here, there's actually an article in Acts, 240, Acts 2.42, rather, the verse we looked at a few minutes ago that says they were devoting themselves to the breaking of bread, there's actually an article in front of the word bread. So it could literally say the breaking of the bread. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. Well, what bread is it referring to? Well, the bread of the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread, a particular bread, the bread of the Lord's Supper. Now now that we understand that they're breaking the bread of the Lord's Supper... Note that they're what? They're continually devoting themselves to it. Folks, if you're devoted to something, you're committed to it. You're going to put your time, your efforts, your abilities to making sure whatever it is you're devoted to happens, right? And the early church was devoted to these things, including the Lord's Supper. And they were devoted to taking it. Devoted to it wouldn't mean that they just took it every now and then or a couple of times a year. No, it suggests that they were doing this regularly. Something that they were committed to doing. It was important to them. And so this is one of the the first references we see to the Lord's Supper being taken or devoted to by the early church. But secondly, and this is probably the most clear example we see of the the church gathering on the first day and partaking of the supper, is Acts 20 and verse 7. In Acts 20, Paul is on a missionary journey and he's, he's kind of towards the end of it and he's having to bounce around from city to city because he's facing, facing a lot of backlash. He's facing persecution for preaching and so he's kind of going from city to city pretty quickly and he ends up in a place called Troas for a while, for seven days. All right? he's, he's there in Troas and here's what uh, Luke says. Luke's actually with him. This is one of the wee passages in the book of Acts. Look what it says, Acts 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week, When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. Notice, on the first day of the week, they're gathered together to break bread. Now again, some would say, well, it doesn't say anything about the Lord's Supper. But again, the the phrase to break bread is there. And in my studies, every, every commentator that I read, every Bible scholar that I read believes this is a reference to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. For instance, William Baker in his commentary on the book of Acts says this, All the believers at Troas assemble on Sunday. Note what must have become at this early date a Christian practice to break bread, Luke's expression, for the Lord's Supper. Folks, notice the purpose of their gathering together in Acts 20 and verse 7 was to break the bread. When we had come together on the first day of the week to break bread, that's the purpose of their meeting. And in the Greek, uh, if, you, if we know the Greek language, if you've studied that at all, it's a lot clearer in the Greek that that's the purpose of their meeting was to break bread. And so they're, they're there to break bread, to observe the Lord's Supper and then hear a message from the Apostle Paul. And notice again, it's on the first day of the week. Now, some may say, well, it doesn't say every first day of the week. But again, note that that's the reason why they gathered. That's the purpose. The primary purpose of them gathering was to partake of the Lord's Supper. They, they were to, devoted to this. So it suggests that this is frequently happening on the first day of the week. Now, another thing that a lot of scholars point out is later in this chapter, in, in verse 16, it says that Paul was hurrying to go to Jerusalem for Pentecost, he was trying to get there quickly. And so some scholars wonder, why would he stop in Troas for seven days if he was trying to get to Jerusalem quickly? And many suggest that, well, he likely stayed so that he can meet with the believers on Sunday, worship with them, and partake of the Lord's Supper with them, and then go on his way. It's not likely that Paul would have just stayed for a normal meal. He wanted to partake of the Lord's Supper with them. And that again, that that's more speculation and what may could have been happening, but He did delay his travel to Jerusalem to stay there and be with the church at Troas. So this is another clear example of the believers taking of the Lord's Supper. And again, it's on the first day of the week, which is today, Sunday. One last example I want to look at, and there's more, but for the sake of time, we'll just look at these. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is one of the most clear examples of the Lord's Supper. And many times when somebody gives the Lord's Supper thoughts, we, we look at this passage. Folks, Paul had to talk to the Corinthians about a lot of things. There was a lot of, of problems in the Corinthian church. And they had written to him about some questions, and he writes back to them. And one of the things that he has to basically exhort them about and talk to them about to fix is about the Lord's Supper. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in giving this instruction... I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. And again, for the sake of time, we won't read. It, it continues on to verse 34, but but he continues on telling them that they're not observing the Lord's Supper correctly. Even within the Lord's Supper, divisions were taking place. And, and what seems like is going on here is that some who had a little, were a little bit more wealthy and who had more, they were taking the opportunity to have basically a, a, a private meal or a, a, like a potluck during the Lord's Supper. And, and they weren't waiting on there, maybe the, the ones who were a little bit poor and had nothing. And they were just, they were just basically feasting and, and getting their fill while others were being left out. That's why he says, are you de- despising the church of God and shaming those who have nothing? And he's saying that some are going hungry and some are getting drunk. He's like, well, this is not how it's supposed to go. This is not what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be like. This is supposed to be a time of unity together, communing together with the Lord. And there's divisions among you. This is not what it's supposed to be like. Folks, Paul's tone is serious here. And if we continued reading on, he says there are some grave consequences for not rightly taking the Lord's Supper, for not rightly examining ourselves, discerning the body, we eat and drink and judgment upon ourselves. Folks, it's a very serious thing. And you see what Paul says, when you come together, when you come together, when you're meeting as a church, he says it's, it's not good what you're doing. You're abusing the Lord's Supper. So, folks, this, it, the way that Paul talks about this, it suggests that this is something that's going on regularly, the Lord's Supper. And he's, he's saying you've got to fix this right now because it's so important. And so again, for all these reasons and and more, there are other passages we could look to even in the book of 1 Corinthians. But the point is, the Lord's Supper was taken regularly. It was something that they they did a lot. And Paul had to fix it or tell them to fix it, the Corinthian church. It was something that was being practiced regularly. Now, another thing that we need to look into to, to understand why we partake of the Lord's Supper every single week is the early church history. Okay, so the second point is that there is extra biblical evidence of the church partaking of the Lord's Supper every single week. And what I mean by that is that there is evidence outside of the New Testament scriptures that the early church took the Lord's Supper regularly. Now, I know some may say, well, we don't really need to rely on on history. We need to rely on the word. And I, I completely understand that. Well, that's what we just did, looking at the word first. But looking at the early church history helps us. Because those Christians who were there in the, let's say, the second century, they were the closest ones to that first century church, the church that we see in the New Testament. And it's likely that they would have been practicing those very practices, doing the very things that the early church was doing. Because that that New Testament church passed on their practices, passed on those beliefs, and what they believed was right, what they should do. And so we need to look at what those early Christians were doing, and what we find is that they... ...partook of the Lord's Supper every single week. Every week, without question. And this was a primary purpose for their meeting. Look at uh, what Robert Milligan says. He says this, "...that the primitive Christians were wont to celebrate the Lord's Supper on every first day of the week is evident. During the first two centuries, the practice of weekly communion was universal... ...and it was continued in the Greek church till the 7th century." Look, the, the practice of weekly communion was what? Universal. The early Christians, all of them, partook of the Lord's Supper every single week. Uh, there wasn't a group over here who was doing it you know, every now and then, or a group over here who was doing it you know, just monthly. It was, it was a regular thing, a weekly thing for all Christians. Look at another quote by B.W. Johnson in his commentary on the Bible. He says this, The early church writers from Barnabas... Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, to Clement of Alexandria, Origen, and Cyprian, all with one consent, declare that the church observed the first day of the week. They are equally agreed that the Lord's Supper was observed weekly on the first day of the week. There were these early church fathers, we call them sometimes, or writers, who were very influential in the the years following the completion of the the New Testament. And, And these guys all agree that the church observed the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week every single week. And folks, what we have talked about this year in our lesson so far is that we want to pattern our worship, our practices by the early church. And this is what the early church did. They partook of the Lord's Supper every single first day of the week. And so we want to follow that example. That's the consistent message we see. And so this is another reason why we partake of it weekly. But thirdly and finally, why we partake of it weekly, and this is so very important, is because the Lord's Supper commemorates the most significant events in the history of mankind. The most important events that have ever occurred. That's what the Lord's Supper commemorates. During the Lord's Supper, we remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Nothing Folks, nothing is more important than that. Without Jesus Christ, life, death, burial, and resurrection, we would not be here worshiping this morning. He's the reason why we gather. He's the reason why we can have the forgiveness of our sins, why we can be in fellowship with God. He tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. John 14, verse 6. He's the only way that we can get to God, that we can be back in fellowship with him. And we remember what He did for us, making that possible during the Lord's Supper. Why wouldn't we want to take of it every single week? Even if we had no other evidence, even if we didn't look at anything else this morning but this last point. I think that's enough to say we should be taking it every single week because it's the most important thing for every single one of us, or at least it should be. As Christians, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is everything. It's what we, we believe in, what, why we are Christians in the first place, is because of what he did for us. And during that time when we partake, that's what we're remembering. We're thinking back at what Jesus Christ did for us. Without him, there is no Christianity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then our faith is, is vain, it's meaningless, and we're still in our sins. But the fact of the matter is, he did raise and because of that, we can be justified. We can be made right in God's sight. And that's what we remember during the Lord's Supper. I think about it sometimes uh, when I think about the Lord's Supper, I, I think about some examples of why it is so important. And I think about maybe you've seen some videos online or maybe a movie where, where somebody's maybe on the train tracks and a train is coming at them and somebody pushes them out of the way, Right? And saves them or a car is coming at them and somebody goes and runs and dives in front of them. And, and most of the time that, that person who dives and saves someone is also okay. But sometimes they may take the hit for somebody. They may take the, the fall for somebody and, and get hurt or maybe die in saving somebody else's life. If you were in that type of situation and You were maybe on the train tracks and a train's coming or you didn't see the traffic coming and somebody pushed you out of the way and they took the hit for you. Would you just walk away and say, oh man, that that, that was crazy, and and never think about what happened again? Never think about that person that laid down their life for you? No, that would change your life forever. You'd never forget that moment. You'd never forget that person that dove in, in front of you and took the hit for you, right? And think about that on an even greater scale with Jesus Christ. He saved us from the greatest punishment, spiritual death, spiritual punishment, being separated from God. He saved us from that. How much more should we remember what Christ has done for us, saving us from our sins, saving us from a a world away from God? He's bridged the gap so we can get back to God. And that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. It's so very important. It's not just any other practice. It is so very important. It's the reason why we're able to gather because of what Jesus Christ did for us. I found a quote from a man named Ray Van Nest. And I actually believe he, he is a, uh, maybe a de- denominational preacher or, or something along those lines. But he was actually fighting for the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. And I loved his comments Uh, that he said about the Lord's Supper. He says this, In practical terms, in our own man-centered age, where so many services are shamefully devoid of any meaningful reference to the cross, could we not benefit from a move to a regular use of the Christ-ordained means for reminding us of the cross? If we want to be gospel-centered, why not make the Christ-ordained portrayal of the gospel a centerpiece in our weekly worship? And I agree with him. Why don't we make that the central piece of our worship and every, everyone's worship across the United States because the cross, the grave, that's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we're able to be Christians in the first place. And so folks, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that's just, that is a very, very important time. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, some say, well, it can become mundane or routine. We can never let it get to that point. We can never let that time become, oh, well, it's just another time to take the bread and drink the juice. No, this is, this is so very important to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. He tells us to do that. He tells us to remember His body, remember His blood, what He did for us to save us from our sins. And we need to make this so very important when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So in a few minutes, when we partake, I hope you will have the right mindset, that you will prepare your mind, you will set everything aside to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. But for all of these reasons, this is why we partake of the Lord's Supper every single week. We see a precedent for it in the New Testament, we see a precedent for it in the early church, and we're remembering what Jesus Christ told us to remember the most important events that have ever happened. So when you partake of the Lord's Supper, it's so very important. Remember what Christ did for you. Make it it personal. Think about the the mistakes you've made and how Christ has forgiven you of those things. Remember his body, his blood that was shed on the cross for you. That's what we do in that time. And you know what? When we do that, it's actually a communing together as well. We're drawing closer together as well. I want to close by reading the lyrics of a song we used to sing a lot when I was in the youth group here. We sing it at camp and at uh, youth rallies. It's called, That's Why We Praise Him. And here's the lyrics of those song, the, the song. It says, He came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be the living word, our light. He came to die so we'd be reconciled. He came to rise to show His power and might, and that's why we praise Him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer Him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this King, because He gave His everything. Because He gave his everything. That's why we praise Him, folks. Because He gave His everything for you and for me. And that's why we're able to gather to worship and be in a relationship with God is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and rising from the grave three, on the third day. Folks, there's nothing more important than that. And that's what we remember when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Folks, we have, a, we have an opportunity in just a few minutes to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I hope that each and every one of us will observe it in the right mindset, remembering what Christ has done. He's the reason why we're here. This morning, if you feel like you've wandered away and you haven't been maybe observing something like the Lord's Supper correctly, or maybe you haven't been living your life correctly, and you want to make things right, we'd love to help you this morning. If you haven't been added to the family, where you can... T- partake of this feast, the Lord's Supper, and remember what Christ has done for you. We'd love for you to be baptized into Jesus Christ this morning. We'd love to help you in any way. If you have any need, please come forward right now as, as we stand and as we sing. Love the believe Jesus is calling calling for you and for me see of the poor is waiting and watching, watching for you and for.